Hi, Jackie. Hi, Rosie. <laughs> oh, welcome to Am I an Asshole? <laughs> <laughs> you can listen to the full remix There's of that song. There's a full song. song. It is on 19 minutes. I, <laughs> on iTunes. Yep. Um, um, we just wanted to take this opportunity to say thank you to some of our listeners. Yes. Thank you so much for liking us mm. and reviewing us and commenting oh, yeah. on iTunes. It helps so much. Please yes, continue it, to do so. Please, thank you. And thank you so much for listening. And um, we love you. So here's here's a quick shout out. Uh, thank you. Oh, these are going to be weird to say because there people made up their names. Uh, Pack and W for life. Yay. <laughs> Nikki Shivs. Yay. JQ Garfield. Uh-huh. Lynn's Merce. Finder fees. That seems fake. Um, <laughs> Robert Abo Abasolo. Um, oh wow. Jap two eighty five. Maybe J A P two eighty five. Leah Pia Pie. DJ MTL, Daniel Max Bon, Dead Pirate Twenty One, M Ali One Two Three, Go Bruins O Seven, Dan Four E to you who is from the dan and cody podcast thank you hey thanks guys. um and khaki deal thanks guys Yay. we super appreciate it wow that's just like so nice just of you. Just a couple shout-outs. Just a couple shout-outs. Just a few. <laughs> um, anyway, thank you so much. And and here's an, an episode. Here's the episode on depression. We yeah. wanted to build you up before we knocked Bring you, you down. down. Thanks. Uh, okay, well, we have an expert depressive oh, so with us. <laughs> Our good friend Dan. Dan, come say hi. Hi, thank nice you for having me. Uh huh. Um, I feel like we're like a talk therapy. What is it, Jen? We're, well, she's not on yet, but yeah. where you go, hi, my name is Dan. Hi, my and name I'm is Dan. I'm the most depressed person. Uh, <laughs> can you hear it in his voice? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, I, also, one of the most wonderful people that we know. Yeah, Dan's an old friend of ours. Mm-hmm. That's um, really nice. Yeah, we've been friends. For, I was realizing like we've been friends for like five years now. Yeah, at least. We, at least, maybe we go longer. way back to really bad improv together. Yeah, Ooh, really bad improv. Good. Now that's um, depressing. But part of what I think brought us close is our common thread of de- of crippling depression. You can sort of sense it. It's it's a wavelength you it pick is. up from people, and you're like, oh, you get it. You're, <laughs> yeah. you're, you're miserable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> cool. Oh, you're one of them. You're okay, one of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's true. It's this unspoken thing. Dan, you're from New York City. From New York City, mm-hmm. born and raised, uh, living out here about two years. Mm. And if you want to have depression, LA is a real great place to uh, embrace it. <laughs> yeah. To embrace it? Yeah, Wait, it, it'll because it'll trigger some things. Uh, because LA will? Sure. This is the loneliest town in America. Everybody's <laughs> very isolated from each other. Everybody stays in their lane. You're in your car. Uh, nobody meets each other in public. You can't just go out and be around people and like strike up conversation. Nobody mm. wants to talk. Mm. Um, so, you know, you can feel very alone here. And I feel like that'll trigger some things. Interesting. But like New York didn't do that for you? Do yeah. you think that's just because you're born and raised there? Uh, no, there's something about New York where it's like you feel some camaraderie with strangers. Like you're on yeah, a subway sure. platform and, you know, some crazy guy does something ridiculous and then you just like yell at the guy next to you and you're like that was nuts right he's like yeah and then all of a sudden you're 
around yeah. people. A lot more opportunity for connection, whether or not it's like whether that. or not it's positive or not. You're <laughs> gotcha. You're constantly okay. surrounded by people, which I feel like is somewhat of a support structure. Yeah, that's an interesting perception on it. I I don't. I felt like it gave me anxiety Same. to be surrounded <laughs> by all these strangers. But I see what mm. you're saying. Yeah, there's that too. <laughs> yeah, but but there is a connection there, whether you like it or not. There's a connection. Yeah, whether it's your connection with this guy's balls being out mm-hmm. or um, bumping into one another. Or, right. Yeah. yeah. But there is safety in numbers. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. like I would feel safer going out at night in New York just for being surrounded. There, there are people on the street. Yeah. You're yeah. like, you can go a week without seeing or interacting with anybody. <laughs> right. Like if, and if you don't believe me, take like an Uber pool and the, there's always like one person in the Uber pool that's just like, Hey guys, like, where, oh you, where, where, where are you going? Uh, you can tell he hasn't spoken in like a week cause his voice is raspy oh. and he's just, you know, did we talk oh. about that? How maybe there's like, uh, we kind of, I wanted to write like a sketch about a guy who just, maybe it was with you who just like takes Uber pools to make friends. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. That's amazing. Where you guys heading? Yeah. Where, where are you going? Yeah. Um, I tag along. I, I tried to make friends with someone in an Uber pool yesterday, but she didn't speak English. So see, <laughs> she didn't realize it until just now yeah oh, damn uh, beautiful it. well That's great it. um have you been uh, uh, i mean before we go into this deeper with jen i mean do you think you've been depressed most of your life is this something you've been struggling with your whole life uh, I've always been a moody kid mm-hmm. um that's just always been a part of me but there have been events in my life that have triggered different stages of depression and it's and it's been given different faces over the years based on what i've gone through gotcha and is it anxiety and depression because i know rosie's is more anxiety mine's a kind of a fusion of both what's yours oh yeah i got i got the full boat (laughs) 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 got the anxiety the depression a little post-traumatic stress disorder just hitting the trifecta cool 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 so i'm kind of an expert i don't want to brag yeah yeah Yeah, 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 like maybe you and jen can kind of like you know Fight it out, see who knows more. Because I mean, you've just been in therapy for I mean, ugh, just so long. <laughs> no, but but you are you are someone who who recognized that you have these things and and sought out help. So yeah, in my case, I don't think I hide it well. So it's never <laughs> something that I could really just keep to myself. Sure. Um, as much as I like to overcompensate for it with you know jokes and comedy and whatever, but it's it. I wear it on my sleeve sometimes, and it's just impossible to avoid. Why do you think you're an asshole for having depression? That is a good question. I, I've thought about this a lot, and I tend to disagree with the premise. I, I do believe you are an asshole for having depression. Wow, interesting. Yeah. The problem is you're an asshole to yourself. Mm. Uh, you hold yourself to a higher standard than you would anybody else. If you treated somebody else the way that you treat yourself with depression that person would be a monster. <laughs> you would be like, I need to cut this person out of my life. Oh, um, like, the, yeah. The way that you, like, you're self-loathing. You're self-loathing. Yeah. If you projected that onto somebody else, I feel like you would definitely be an asshole. Not only that, you'd be a complete sociopath. Right. So yeah. Right. The way that you treat yourself, you are an asshole to yourself. Um, oh, interesting. I that's, like that. I didn't, that's very true. It's yeah. really true. And so for all the things that you suffer and what you're feeling, the judgment that you give yourself is like a double wound. And... Uh huh. Mm, um, yeah. Yeah. If I were to say to you, like Jackie, like if you didn't finish your screenplay in a month, you know, I'm not going to talk to you ever again, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> or I'm going to force you to eat ice cream until you cry. <laughs> uh, right. I would be a monster. You would never have me in your life. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the ice cream part sounds tasty. I don't know if that's but yeah. forcing it though. No, but, but you, yeah, don't, you don't, don't take care it. of yourself. Uh, you don't give yourself opportunity to succeed. You don't give yourself opportunity for happiness. You know, you deny yourself all of these things the way that you would a prisoner. You mm-hmm. know, somebody that you were controlling. Um, did you find there? Did you? I think you answered this, but talk therapy helpful. 
Uh, talk therapy saved my life. For wow. Sure. I would not. I would not be here had it not been for that. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. But also, I did find comedy from the same way. I mean, I was mm. in New York. I was going through the hardest moment of my life, uh, going through family issues, and somebody told me about UCB, and that's how I sort of got into that to begin with. Uh, but everybody needs like that respite. You need to just take a break from the suffering in any way possible. So. Yeah, I wonder if that's a connection at all to, well, I guess in stand-up, I mean, you are talking about yourself, but like in improv and in sketch and stuff, like you get to live in a different world for a bit. Yeah. I remember when I used to teach improv and like people would say like, I've, I like people who didn't even want to perform were saying that they, they loved being involved because they could escape what was going on in their brain and just mm-hmm. focus on, you know, saying yes and or whatever bullshit you know yeah yeah i mean for sure i i so and just to kind of talk about uh my experience with it and see if it resonates with you at all but like when you are depressed you feel like there's a wet blanket over you like a rain cloud i felt that way at least and um i did talk therapy and it helped for me but what what helped me was actually medication yeah um and i know that doesn't help for everyone so i don't know if i still to this day and obviously we're going to bring jen in um but i don't know if it was situational or chemical i I do have a family history with it i don't know if that's as strongly correlated as i think like do you have a family history with it oh definitely uh okay my grandmother was white-haired at the age of like 13 uh from anxiety and depression does that happen yeah apparently but she Whoa. was. So it's definitely like in my mm. history. And there is a part of it that's chemical. And, you know, I know that like no matter how good things are in my life, even at its best, there will always be like an underlying melancholy or sadness that just doesn't go away. And it's just mm-hmm. something that you do. You, OK. Do you think that you don't want to? I mean, OK, this I'm going to sound like a jerk, but this is what this is about. Do it. Um, Like. Do you feel like you don't want to let it go because it's like part of your thing? Oh, my God. I sound like such a dick. But like it's like part of your thing to be like moody and like, you know, <laughs> I mean, I know you don't want all like the depression and stuff that goes like the actual like being mean to yourself. But what if you let it go? Does that? Well, yeah. And then you have to just live in yeah. the world. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you don't have that. Which is very Maybe depressing. the wet blanket is comfortable. Uh, Yeah, I guess. I mean, there is something that is familiar about it, but it's not something that I wouldn't let go in a second if I could. Sure. Um, so but, I felt like a dick saying it. <laughs> no, no, but, no, but it's, it's a good question because it is part of you and it right. is yeah. like, it becomes how you see the world. It is your filter through everything and it's a part of your identity. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I don't, I don't, I don't know. Like when all the factors of like what would make you upset or depressed mm-hmm. disappear, uh, the responsibility and pressure to be just happy all the time is impossible you know it's hard mm. to live with because it's too much yeah well and i i also think in our society we don't really place enough value in mental health in general so i think you're told to just be happy and buck up and go to work i mean it's crazy to me that like these tragedies happen and in my in my old job n- n- there was just like one comment about it and it was because it was for the clients like for the vegas thing it was like just so you know let's be careful about the vegas shootings when talking to clients great okay you guys are fucking robots (laughs) you know like how about how we feel about it how about i mean can't we at least just talk about it and it's i think society looks at it at it as weakness as you know this kind of old-fashioned mentality of like buck up but Mm. then that adds pressure to us as humans to be just happy and what if we're fucking not right sure 
uh, and that's also a difference between New York and LA, where I feel like in New York, you are you do just keep your head down, and it's just like do your job, and everybody just gets through the day, and like you don't really allow yourself any time to just you know feel something mm -hmm. uh sometimes you break down on the train crying oh, but like yeah. other oh, than that, that it's mostly you're just like you just keep going forward mm -hmm. where as LA as a New Yorker coming to LA I was always very uh like wary of all of the hippie nonsense yeah hippie dippy, yeah yeah just like this too the, much sunshine the smoothies the sunshine the hiking the dogs the yoga all of it just seemed very self-indulgent to me as a New Yorker but now that I'm here also dealing with my own depression I'm like oh this is these are a bunch of broken people coming here to take care of themselves. Yeah. And like where self-care isn't, doesn't come with judgment and you can actually be free to heal, heal, right. you know, for the first mm -hmm. time. So I, it's been a saving grace that I actually found myself here. Wow. Me too. I mean, I feel better coming here me too. too. I mean, yeah. And I don't think that you have to be happy all the time. I certainly think that wouldn't be a, a fulfillment, fulfilling life. No, and I didn't yeah. think you were, I, I right. got what, I think yeah. we got what you were saying. Like, yeah. I, yeah. I didn't think you were saying be happy. I just mean, I think you were saying is that part of your thing? You know, it's mm -hmm. like your style. Almost. You guys should see Dan. He's so brooding. <laughs> <laughs> no, but, we'll put up a pick. but I think that that's that thing that I sniff out in people that I'm almost glad that that's your thing. Cause it, yeah. it allows me to be like, Oh, like what you're saying. Yeah, I smell that little nice little depression there. Let me <laughs> let me make this in. person a friend, yeah. <laughs> yeah. an alliance. Yeah. Um. Do you do you uh? And so we'll get to Jen right after this. But yeah. did you find yourself? So I found myself self medicating a lot with alcohol. Oh, did sure. you find yourself doing that? Uh, for years, uh, it was alcohol, and then after like a little PTSD, there was some mushrooms involved, which I later found out people are now using to help heal mm -hmm, uh, wow. PTSD. Uh, there, I mean, there are a lot of things that you do to self-medicate, but ultimately if you have something chemically, you know, off, you should be on medication. Oh, oh, you mean like actual, like I am. Yeah. Zoloft sertraline, by the way, 50 MGs, I think. Ooh, 20, yeah, 50. Um, but, but that, that really helped me. And part of me was like, why, like, why did, why do I, I hate it. I feel like I'm dependent on it. Why do I need it? Do I need it? But for me, it was like a switch. It was so helpful. And I had done all the talk therapy. I had, I was trying to work out and trying to change things that made me depressed, but nothing was working. And I think, at least for me, when it gets to a point where you're, you're really contemplating suicide on a, on, on a deep level, you have to get help from somewhere. So for right. me, I was with my therapist for about a year I think a year, year and a half before she, before she took me to that next step, um, which I think is cool. She never pushed it on me. She never like she wanted to assess m me and and what I was going through before the medicating step. But um, she also told me it's funny your perception on yourself. Like I was like, am I really that bad? She was like, oh my god, on a scale of one to ten with anxiety, you're over a ten. <laughs> this was a therapist <laughs> in her like sixties or seventies. Like she's seen a lot of people, and I was like, really me? That's so stupid. That's the other part of the asshole thing. Why am I depressed? I'm yeah. white. I'm I come from uh, you know a upper middle class family. I right. have so all these good things. How how dare I? What do I have to be depressed about? Yeah, for sure. Right, and then hate yourself for that. And yeah. then I hate yeah, exactly. myself even yeah. more. It's a yeah, fun cycle. Well, I feel like we've gotten as far as we can go. Yeah, can yeah. get to. So um, let's let's bring on. Did you have anything to say before we bring on? Jen? No, let's bring her out. Guess who's back? <laughs> back, back again. again. 
Hey, Jen. How's it going? Hey, Jen. Hello. Good. Good to be back. Yes. Yeah. Um, Jen was um, crusading um, the African Sahara. Um, <laughs> that's why she was gone. No, she was um, yeah, further I in wish. studies. Jen was busy being a full-time mom and full-time student. Yeah. Really, right? Yes. Yes. And it's very good to be back. Yeah, so. so we got her, and we needed her for this one. I mean, we just couldn't. Yeah, we just couldn't even try. Really, how'd we do? <laughs> yeah, dude, I think we solved it. I think we solved depression and anxiety. Yeah, yeah, you you guys got it. You yeah. nailed it. Great, we're so. freed from our demons. Yeah. Um, no, so I think everybody's got a little something, huh? Mm-hmm. Well, we've talked about. I mean, in past episodes about my OCD. And it's, it's gotten, it's gotten worse. Like it was, it got better. And then like the past, Jackie was there the other day. I was like, I have to go check my door. And she like, cause I knew it was Ooh. locked, but then I had to go back up. But I, cause I had listened to yeah. you, Jen and I was like, let the anxiety wash over you. You know, you did it. Like, but, and I have, I really just, those are like, just thoughts. Yeah. These are just thoughts. Um, but sometimes when you're just feeling real anxious, I was just like, I'm just going to fucking check because mm-hmm. it's going to make me feel better. But then I'm giving in to the. Yeah. It'll thing. make you worse. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, um, but next time. Next time, yeah, exactly. Next time, we um, all like sort of like I guess are worried about. I mean, we wanted to talk about it because I think a lot of people in the world have it. Not everybody talks about it. Yeah, I mean, and at different points in their life, like I don't know if it's something that everyone struggles with their whole life, or they go through periods of depression and anxiety, or and yeah. I know that they they go hand in hand, right? I mean, I think that anxiety a lot of anxiety can cause depression. I don't know. Well, it's kind of hard to, sometimes it's hard to sort out because people who, most people who have anxiety will also have depression. Um, so frequently they do go hand in hand, but it's not always easy to tell which comes first. Mm. And, um, so it's hard to tell if you were depressed and then the depressed thoughts are causing you to feel anxious or, if you're feeling anxious and then because of the anxiety, you start to feel like, you know, various things about yourself, like you can't do certain things that you wanted to do or that you're no longer good at things and then the depression sets in. So it's not always clear what comes first, mm-hmm. but um, they do go hand in hand a lot. So I want to um, ask you something just like right out the gates. Um, am I an asshole for asking Dan if he wants to keep his depression? So it, it mm, that's your, ang- that's your anxiety asking that question. Oh, no. <laughs> yep, yep. I, I don't think you're an asshole for saying that because it's also, it's also convenient mm-hmm. a lot of times. Mm-hmm. Uh, and on top of being an asshole to yourself, uh, I, I have been an asshole to other people. Through depression. Yes. Just, like, I've missed two weddings because I couldn't open my mail for six months. Oh. You know, I've missed birthday parties. I've missed obligations to friends because I couldn't get out of bed. You know, and it's sort of like the perk of, I guess, Jen, maybe you can chime in here about having a kid. It does get you out of a lot of things. Mm-hmm. Right. But at the same time, you're such a dick for doing it so then you just use like well i was so depressed i'm sorry i didn't and they're like oh i get it but it's i've never used it as an excuse i'm just saying that like it's a genuine thing but it is it is a genuine thing but it has i mean it affects other people it affects other people too and it's also it's a it's a it becomes a crutch where it's like i if once you accept it it's like i know that i'm not capable of these things so i don't have to do them and Mm -hmm. you just you make your life smaller that way so I think, yeah, and I think that what 
that really is about is I think that depression and anxiety can become very ingrained into your personality. And sometimes really bad depression can look like some kind of personality disorder or traits of a personality disorder. And um, it is because it becomes this enveloping thing that affects many different areas of, of your life. And I think that, you know, while maybe on the surface, it's like, oh yeah, you know, I was such an asshole to this person because I didn't go to their wedding. I don't think that it's necessarily fair to say that you are an asshole, you know, like that is you. I think that the depression causes a lot of difficulty. And I think, you know, a lot of times I parallel, we, we think of depression and we think of anxiety as, you know, their, their mental health issues. And that's completely true. And I think that when people have physical illness, we give a lot more understanding to others and to ourselves. So somebody who has a heart condition, for example, and has to lay in bed to recover or can't be as active as they used to be, they're not going to be able to do things that they used to do. And that is going to impact other people. And that sucks. Mm -hmm. And we're not sitting here like you're such an asshole because you just had open heart surgery and you can't you know, get up and go do all these things. Well, depression is similar. Somebody who has, a dep has depression doesn't choose to have it. Um, if it were a choice and if it were as easy as just saying, okay, I'm not going to be depressed, then a lot of people would just do that. Right. Um, you know, I think that there, the good news though, is that there is a lot of treatment out there that is really effective for managing both anxiety and depression. Um, and so, Typically, the I mean, really the best way to manage depression is through medication and therapy. And usually people like to go to the medication route and try to try to kick it that way. And sometimes that does work, but really the most effective way is to is to have both. Um, so I don't know if that answers or helps out there, but to your I think point, it's important. And I think that's a really good point about you would never blame somebody for being physically ill. Mm -hmm which is often how I explain to the world that like, oh, I can't make your party because I'm, I'm sick, is what I would say. But at the same time, and I know that I'm guilty of this too, whenever I hear somebody tells me they have lung cancer or they know a person who has lung cancer, my first question is, oh, were they a smoker? Because I think mm -hmm. part of the response is, it's so scary to think that these things could happen to you or that we wanna shuck personal responsibility onto people. Because otherwise it's it's a horror, and otherwise oh, it's tough to live with. So like, well, and that type of thinking makes us feel safe, right? Like, right. A lot of times when we can feel that bad things happen for a reason, then we feel safe. And if we can say that, or or if we can say that bad things happen to bad people, then. You know, that it's kind of like this just world theory is what it's called. And it helps us navigate and feel safe in the world. But there's a lot of flaws in that. And um, sometimes those flaws aren't helpful. Like if you think, like we are always searching for a reason why something bad happens to somebody. But that, that doesn't always, I mean, bad things happen to good people all the time. Oh, yeah. Sure, sure. And I'm just, I guess I'm talking about the stigma that also comes with mm. it because as long as I've lived with depression I've lived around people who have lived with me mm -hmm. being depressed and I know for people around people who suffer this way 
it's often very hard to empathize and take care of somebody who doesn't want to take care of themselves. Yes. You know, and but- it's it's often easier to put them in a category of that it's their fault in some way for not making an effort. And while right. I do think that this is something that's out of people's control, uh, I do think it's important to respect and love yourself enough to make an effort to get better you know for yourself and for the yeah. people around you yeah and my, I mean my mom you know she was depressed for a while our, our mother was depressed for a while and um she says that the reason you know I think that she's still here is because of her family and so like you do things for other people right when you're so down on yourself you're not doing it for yourself right because you don't care right right because um, you're an asshole to yourself. Yeah. Well, and I think it's important to say that you can, you can be depressed just like you can be have have a heart condition, right? And just kind of keep that parallel drawing out. If you've got somebody who has a heart condition, and let's say they've they've had open heart surgery, or they've just they've had a heart attack, and they're they're under the care of a doctor, yet they're still smoking, and they're still right, you know, right. eating fast food and and all of that, you know, it's like okay, we know that we have treatment that can help you with your heart condition. How can we help you get better? And I think the most, one of the biggest things that, you know, I want to say is that if someone is suffering from depression and or anxiety, there is really, really good help out there. And a lot of it is, is, you know, depending on how severe the depression is, um, you know, it, it is about kind of, understanding to, to what degree you can, where your depression comes from, but also you really can, um, it's, you can respond differently to the depression. So even though you feel depressed, right, physically, let's get you out of bed. Let's get you doing things that you want to do. And a lot of times with depression and what kind of feeds that cycle is that we begin to not live in line with what we value, and so, for example, if we value a friend's wedding, right, and depression keeps us from going, well, there we go. There's another way that I have failed and there's another way that I'm inferior and bad when if you can, if a person, and again, it's not easy, which is why therapy is really effective, but help get to the point where, okay, let's let's get you to where you can put one foot in front of the other and start acting in ways that you value and doing things that are important to you, despite the way that your mood is right now. But what about when you're like catatonic and you like can't do anything? I mean, again, that's a pretty, that's a very, very severe form of depression. And in that case, you would need, but that was like mom, you would need medication. I mean, when somebody cannot, participate in therapy, you will need medication to get them to a point where they can, where they can participate. But most people are not at that level. And most people are feeling mildly to moderately depressed. And, you know, there are really good behavioral interventions that, that can help with the depression. And again, it, it may be that somebody can't get out of bed. So, all right, let's have a goal of getting you out of bed. And it may seem silly to some people, but that is a very real goal. And, Mm -hmm. you know, every time that you actually get out of bed, that's a win. And it, it's, again, it's, it's really getting people to move in the direction of 
doing activities that are important to them, that they value, and you know, they can get a sense of mastery and pleasure again back in their lives. And that's a major, major piece of depression intervention. And it is really hard to do on your own. Yeah. Are you talking about like cognitive behavioral therapy? Yeah. And, and I mean, the cognitive behavioral therapy is really effective for depression management. Um, And really, again, when you're dealing with pretty bad depression, behavioral intervention is one of the best places to intervene because a lot of times with depression, you know, if you try to intervene at the cognitive level, sometimes there can be difficulty because the person is so depressed. They're not, they're not able to change their thoughts right now. So let's, let's get the behavior piece. Let's get you, you know, if you, if you can start again, acting and doing things that you value, the rest of the pieces start to come into play because even as simple as, you know, going to the grocery store, right? interacting with other depression is very isolating. So if you think of just somebody that stays in bed all day, you don't get the interaction and the reward that comes from, from being around other people, even a simple smile, right? Mm. You, you become isolated from that. And you're then in this, you're in your own head and you're telling yourself really bad things about, about how you are, how you are towards others. And it's a really, um, it's a really tough space to be in. And I, I think the shame that goes along with it too is extremely powerful. I think the hardest part though is like the getting the help because I know I feel frustrated in myself. It took me forever to just get to a therapist and I went three times because it was free at work. But like I know that I would benefit from therapy or even like Zoloft, which I like I am calling some GPs to be able to talk about getting some stuff because, like, great, I don't have, have pills. Great. I'd no, love to take them. Don't do that. <laughs> don't, yeah, yeah, don't do that. Um, but, I mean, I – because I know I don't have to live this way, but yet I still – it's. I mean, I'm 33 years old, and I've been going through this for a really, really long time. And I don't – I'll make excuses not to deal with it. I mean, Dan and I have talked about this, like, so many fucking times. And it took me forever to even take those three free ones I talked to. Your, and I'll put money as an uh, excuse not to go, and I'll put mm-hmm. – or, like – I'll be like, oh, I don't want pills. Like I'm like a weird old, oldie timey dad. No, no. <laughs> like, you know, like, no, but that, but is. that's like someone saying, I don't want pills for debt for, um, you know, whatever. Heart condition. I don't want, I don't want heart. Con- I don't want pills for my heart. Totally. I don't want totally. I mean, pills for, yeah. you know, I but don't want it, dialysis for my kidneys. I just, I really just want my kidneys to purify themselves or I just okay. really, I'm going to will myself to produce insulin. Right. right? We're, no, we're all, no, we're all you're Christian not. scientists when it comes to our own. Right. Yeah. Well, yeah. But what you're saying, but I, I understand like the, the behavioral part to how they would go hand in hand, because like you were saying, you can't, if it is a heart condition, you can't be eating French fries and expect to get better. Right. So like you can't expect to lean on alcohol, which is a depressant and expect to get better from depression. And for you, anxiety, like something similar, you know, for you, but at the same time, you're still not getting help, but it is uh, expensive. Yeah. It can be expensive. Seeing a therapist is, is, you know, usually when we don't have a free one. Um, that's sister. why we did this um, podcast. So like, yeah. Yeah. Um, I have a few questions for Jen. Uh, I don't know if you were yeah. done. Well, also, well, like, yeah, I'll, I'll t- I can I can swing back around. No, no. Um, well, I, I guess because I sometimes think that what I'm going through is not the end of the world. 
And like I can get out of bed and like I still like have a pretty good, you know, I can still. And, and also I think what I was talking about with you about not wanting to get rid of it. I definitely don't want to get rid of my anxiety. Like, why is that? Because I feel like if I don't worry about something, I won't like learn my lesson or like if I don't, you know, I want well, to. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you've got very distorted thinking around it. And a lot of these, a lot of depression and anxiety comes from cognitive distortions, which is another piece of intervention. Right. But if again, if you're so depressed, you can't get out of bed. We're not going to talk about cognitive distortions. But when you pay attention to your distorted thinking and you can balance the thought, that's going to help your mood because the whole, you know, CBT, right? Talk, it's it's cognitive and behavioral, but it talk it it really works through understanding that there's a dynamic relationship to your between your behavior, your mood, your physiological sensations, and your environment, they're all, they're all interacting together. So when you have this thought, right, it's going to impact your mood. It's going to impact the way that you behave. And so your distort, your thought of, oh, well, if I don't have this anxiety, I won't learn my lesson. Well, you've probably never tried, like, I I don't know what you fear about not losing. I mean, what does that even mean? You're not going to learn. You mean like, like neuroses, your quirk, your edge? No, no, no. Oh. I, I am super edgy though. So thank you for pointing that out. Um, no, I mean, I mean like, um, but it, uh, my brain is all, all over the place. But like, I'm like, okay, so if I make a bad decision, if I don't like overthink it before I do it, then, but then I even still make bad decisions. So I don't Yeah, understand. what Jen's saying is that's, right. the, that's yeah. the anxiety speaking. And right. that was something that we had to learn with, with my mom was like, what, what is the depression talking the depression's talking right, right now right and i think that's where your anxiety is telling you that that makes sense right but when but, you say it to people that don't think like that it doesn't and, and also what you're describing is a cycle of abuse where you'll get hard on yourself for making a mistake and then recreate the mistake and then in order to get hard on yourself and beat yourself up yeah. again which is which well, is a very abusive relationship with yourself and you never learn that in the absence of anxiety you can still learn Right. So right. you never allow yourself, if you don't allow yourself to go through the same process, whatever it is, in the absence of anxiety, then you're you're just almost in a way confirming this false belief. Right. So. Right. Right. Which which is part which is part of it. If you feel a way about yourself, and if you have uh, a flawed idea of who you are, you will seek out situations that confirm that. And you will seek out people in your life that will confirm that and mirror it back to you because you have a false core belief and you reify it with through your life and your choices and the people that you surround yourself with. Mm. That's just having a low self-esteem. I mean, that's just what that is. Yeah. And I think change in behavior will give changes in your experiences because we all have these these experience, we all have these beliefs and these beliefs came from somewhere and they may have come from what our parents told us, what society tells us, a combination. And so another real benefit of therapy is you can learn different ways of not only thinking and behaving, but you also gain different experiences that change or challenge a lot of your core hard-held beliefs. Right. It's kind of some mind control on yourself. Well, and, but it's, it's experiential as well. I mean, mm-hmm. if, you know, if, if Rosie can learn, for example, we'll go back to the door locking thing, right? Mm-hmm. If you can learn that y- you don't have to check your door for things to be safe, then you don't any longer really, you shouldn't have to be checking your door over and over and over, but that checking, right. And this is more of an OCD type 
behavior, which is, which, you know, has an anxiety component to it, but, and it has a real behavioral treatment. And what happens again is that every time you check your door, you've convinced yourself that by you checking, you've kept something safe when that's not true. What about when you check, you told me this, what about that one time you checked and it wasn't locked though? Oh, that was my, yeah. And yeah. then that gives yourself like, see, this is why yeah, I do it. I, I texted my coworker and I said, I left my car at work for, while I was going on a trip. And I said, well, you check that I locked my door and I didn't. So then that helps me be like, see, I'm a fucking idiot. If I didn't double check five times. Five yeah, times. but what, so what? Well, and, okay. A lot of it too, like I had to drive back to my friend's house that I was cat sitting because I was afraid that her cats were going to burn up on a stove that I left um, <laughs> oh on. God. And I, I got in a lift and went all the way back to, I know it is funny because it's so, it sucks. No, I'm <laughs> sorry. It's not funny. It's not funny. funny. It is. That's ridiculous. I had and just had an image of <laughs> cats burning. Yeah. So did I. Um, that's why I went back to the house. <laughs> um, and, at, but like. Because it's with other people, because I don't want to be responsible for, like, you know, even with my car, I would have been like, well, someone, like, got into my car. That was my fucking fault. But, like, at my house, I have roommates. If my house burns down, or then I also thought that um, Silver Lake was going to start a fire because my house burned down, and then it was going to be a Southern California fire. And then, like, with um, with the cats thing, then I would have disappointed my friends because I killed their cats. But yeah. it's only because it affects other people yeah. that you care enough yeah. to do your part or value it, which I I think is interesting because, I mean, you're talking about how isolating depression can be. And I think it's the responsibility of of others that helps you behaviorally change. Um, I know you described depression as being a wet blanket. For me, it's always been like building a house on a fault line where I know that at any moment a quake can happen and take down everything that I've built in my life, you know, and it's just it can happen at any time and so for that reason you stop rebuilding the house you know you stop Mm. inviting people over you stop having dinner parties because you know that it could all come crumbling down at any moment and you know it can but it might not and so it's a matter of deciding that you're going to have that dinner party anyway right it's a matter of deciding that you're gonna even if it does all come crumbling down tomorrow you're going to decide to act in accordance with your values and do what you value, right. even if it all comes crumbling down. Because it might not. It might, but it might not. And so, um, and that's, I can hear that anxiety piece in there, right? Because the anxiety is the what if, what if, you know, sure. worry about, and, and it's common, you know, especially if people are feeling better and, you know, relapse prevention is also a very important part of therapy because you don't have to, go back to as bad as things were. Um, and there's real ways to get to learn and recognize in yourself symptoms of, you know, anything returning. And I guess like Dan, I'm wondering, cause you mentioned PTSD as well, and you certainly don't have to tell, like talk about it. And I wouldn't want you to, if you haven't, if you don't feel that you can, but I'm, I'm wondering where that came in. Like, did you did you already suffer from anxiety and depression and then have an additional experience or do you feel that the depression and anxiety were caused by some particular traumatic event or many traumatic events sure um well I, i've always like i said i've always suffered from anxiety and depression but uh 
some years ago, my father was arrested for a crime that he didn't commit and eventually went to prison and was convicted for a crime he didn't commit. And through the course of about five years of trying to free him from this horror, um, I've developed a certain post-traumatic stress disorder where Mm. uh, you relive certain experiences that you felt before and you have triggering responses to Mm -hmm. uh, particular people or situations. And this is called PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder. Yeah. Uh, You know, I I never had, I didn't go to war or anything. I didn't, I wasn't physically abused or raped or the things that normally trigger post-traumatic stress disorder in an instant but i went through like six years of eight years now of prolonged loss that Mm -hmm. has seemed to have had a similar effect Mm -hmm. you know and it's interesting we always talk about like well why you know what do i have to complain about to be depressed uh and i've minimalized the circumstances that led me to this point to say that well i i never was in war you know how can yeah I yeah you're already disorder? but i mean the behavior is sort of lines up so i just had to admit that that's something that's going on yeah and i think just on that point it's really important to understand that you don't have to have gone to war and you don't have to have been through you know there's kind of classic right classic events that people associate with trauma um but everybody experiences events differently. And if something was experienced as a trauma, then it was traumatic. If somebody is experiencing something and is in a situation where there's like a chronic upset and a chronic worry and a chronic fear, that is that will have a tremendous impact on a person's emotional well-being. Oh, for sure. Because I, I have a response to bullies now that I never did before. But mm. from feeling pushed around and bullied by people for eight years, uh, now when I encounter one, I get, I sort of see red and I get enraged and it does come up. And like, I am afraid of putting myself in certain situations because it's like, oh, I don't know how I'm going to react. Like I went to a haunted house oh, <laughs> in, in Universal Studios and I almost like hit somebody that like snuck up on me in a way that they're supposed to yeah, do right. and that I signed up you for that I spent money to go experience but like I just I couldn't I couldn't handle it and yeah <laughs> you know I'm, it does like you know breed more anxiety about well you know what I could pop off at any minute like maybe I shouldn't necessarily be go to out in the houses. world or go to yeah, ever god I, I'm just gonna reiterate <laughs> I'm jealous you haunted houses I like yeah. those things for but... all the people at university Studios, you did a great job oh yeah, yeah uh, okay. that just means they're no. doing a job. Yeah, exactly yeah. um <laughs> Well, I mean, I think that, can I just ask like both of you two or all of you, like how, how do you identify it? Like, I think that's one of the hardest parts. Like you don't, we don't know. Sometimes you don't know that you're depressed. Like, and what's the difference, Jen, between like the blues or like having a rough week or, you know what I mean? Yeah. What differentiates like the severity of mental illnesses? So while you're talking specifically about depression in when you talk about the blues and things, and I think that it's important to know there's a couple different types of depression. There's um, this persistent depression that people can experience. And so it, it can also be called dysthymia, but it's a persistent depressive disorder where people have a low lying or, or a certain kind of baseline of depressed 
kind of like um, like Eeyore from Winnie the Pooh is the most classic way that mm. people describe this, right? It's just this constant negative. nagging negative negativity and like cloud of depression that constantly hangs. And people to to have this persistent depression, it's generally thought of that if you've had this feeling consistently without much without really a break for for two years like that's generally the criteria there now within that people can experience with this persistent depression people can also experience depressive episodes so they can feel worse than their baseline right and then kind of come back up to baseline of depressed. And is that and so that's is that uh, chemical? Like, what's the difference between it being ke- chemical and situational? Like that baseline you're talking about, that Igor, Igor, uh, Igor, Igor. Wow. <laughs> um, is that like a low serotonin or a low? Like, is there something going on in the brain, or is that a mindset? Well, I mean, I think it's important to know that with most, with most mental health issues, there is going to be a genetic component as well, or a biological component, as well as um, an environmental component. So the ratio of that, the mix of that, we don't really have a good way of knowing. Okay. But it's likely that somebody who suffers from depression will have a relative who has depression. Same with anxiety. Most people who have anxiety disorders have very close relatives that also have anxiety disorders. Um, but when you experience just a constant nagging of depression and it's been, you know, a long time, then that can be that that can be indicative of, of depression. There's also the, the major depressive disorder, which is classified as feeling down and and hopeless and, um, you know, loss of interest in things that you once enjoyed and sadness um, and a general depressed mood for at least two weeks. And so if you have these, these, if you've never really had this before and you start feeling depressed and that depression lasts for two weeks or more, that's generally considered an episode of depression and it's recommended to get treatment. Um, I think another thing to tease out too, right, is grief. Hmm. It's very normal to when something bad happens or when you have a situation to feel sad, you know, if somebody dies or you've gone through something um, sad, you know, it's it's a normal human reaction to feel sad. Right. And so... To go through mourning. You know, yeah, and grief. I mean, grief. grief. There's a grieving process and grief can look like all kinds of different things. Um, but again, you know, if you're having these symptoms for several weeks or a month or more... Um, you know, it's important to start thinking that maybe it's it's a little bit more than that. And they can absolutely trigger things. You know, a, 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 an event that is sad can make it difficult. You know, you could have difficulty and trigger a, a, a depressive episode. But these are all things, you know, that a therapist would, would look for and kind of try to tease out. But I think um, there, depression looks like different things is, I guess, what I'm trying to say. Is yeah. that there's no one way that depression looks. Um, in men, in fact, a lot of times depression can look like aggression and that's a lot of times overlooked Interesting, because depression is thought of a lot of being, you know, subdued and mute and, but there is, there can be an irritability component to depression. Um, again, we see it a lot more in men, 
and kids, but it definitely can also be there for women. Um, does that answer your question? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, postpartum as well. Right. There's generally a two week, two week consideration. You know, if anything's, if it's going on for longer than two weeks, three weeks, you probably have something a little more significant going on there. But it's, it's normal, quote unquote, normal to be like, if you lost your job, to be kind of like bummed yeah. about it. Yeah, absolutely. And, and be down, not yeah. want to go to a party and that kind of stuff right. doesn't mean you have. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But someone with depression, it may spiral into something deeper, maybe. Or it can cause depression. I mean, if oh, you're, yeah. again, if, if you're not, if you're not able to kind of shake it and get back to your baseline in a couple weeks, then it's, it may very well be more than just grieving or being sad. Um, and we can have predispositions as well to experiencing that. So, you know, that's why some people can lose a job or lose a loved one or go through something, even a traumatic event and not have the same reaction as somebody else who may, might have some genetic predisposition or in terms of trauma, which Dan is why I was, I was asking you that you know, having depression and anxiety will predispose somebody to having traumatic, having reactions to trauma and developing a, um, a trauma induced stress disorder. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and that's not a weakness of the person. It really is just what we understand about our brains and our minds and mental illness and mental health will change the, it changes the makeup in the, of your brain. I mean, that's the other thing that we haven't even gotten into is well, yeah. that yeah, that's what your I brain actually about. changes. Your um, brain changes. Whoa. Wait, so what mm-hmm. do you mean? Well, you can, well, we, we know we have neurotransmitters in the brain, which is, you were talking about serotonin. Um, we actually know that there's several different types of serotonin in the brain. And so, um, we're not quite sure which ones necessarily impact depression, but, and again, it could be different for you and for me. So if you have, you know, a low serotonin, serotonin four or whatever it might be, and, you know, it depends which serotonin's out of whack even. Um, and that's why medication can be helpful. But one of the downsides to medication is that it's not always known which medication is going to work for which person, which I would like to say, and I would like for people to know that we are getting better at that. And there's actually, um, psychiatrists can do like a, a swab basically and see and get it, get a profile on you for, um, basically how you metabolize drugs and different classes of drugs. So if you are feeling depressed or you are feeling anxious or you are having other, any kind of, you know, psychological condition, um, they can get a pretty good read of like, okay, Zoloft might work really well for you or, um, Paxil is not going to work very well for you. So they're not going to start you off on that. Right. Because you can start to feel like a Guinea pig a lot with Mm, medication and we're getting better at identifying how your body might metabolize certain drugs as compared to others. And again, everybody's very different. So, um, I would encourage anybody who's considering medication to look into that because it can, it can really save a lot of time and getting to the, the help that's needed from that chemical side. That's such a relief to hear. Cause I mean, one of the biggest factors of why I've often 
uh, deferred taking meds is just the trial and error process of yeah because yeah. it takes like two weeks to acclimate to them and then if it doesn't work or it's not the right one for you then you feel awful for a while and then you have to wean off of that and then try a new one it could be it, a year it can also can't yeah. induce like, and, suicidal thoughts and stuff too yeah if you get the wrong one well and part of that too can be that um when a person is so depressed they are not i mean sometimes people are so depressed they can't really even think about dying by suicide right they just can't even think about or the they can't fathom having the energy to even try to complete suicide. Mm. And sometimes, and, and one of the riskiest parts um, when somebody has been that depressed is when they do start to feel better, they do get that, they can have that rise in energy that will give them the energy to actually um, complete a suicide or try to complete a suicide. And so, yes, some of these medications can cause that, but it also can be an effect of actually feeling better. The person gets the energy to be able to try to, to do it. Um, that being said, not certainly not everybody does that. And that's not a reason to, to stay away from medication. It's just really something to talk about with your doctor, especially if you have been having thoughts of suicide and more than just thoughts, but like desire, mm -hmm. which is very common for depression. And there's nothing, you know, yeah. again, that's very stigmatizing, but it's very normal. But it also, it, I mean, it, it's a good reason to seek talk therapy as well as being medicated mm -hmm. at the same time. I think that people look at people who commit suicide as being selfish or they, they really, it's, it's sparks a lot of curiosity, I think, because oftentimes it's people that you don't think would do something like that. Mm. Um, that's, that's why I let everybody know that I'm depressed all the time because if that ever happens, I don't want anybody to be shocked. Right. You want, <laughs> want people to, to sure. say... I want, oh, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah I, oh, I, Dan? I, I could have seen I'm that. I'm surprised you lasted this long. <laughs> oh, <my laughs> but yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but I don't know why I was saying that. I don't remember. Well, because I think you were talking about how there's sort of like the people say... people People take it as a selfish move or people will criticize people who do die by suicide and and the language now is actually changing to die by suicide as opposed to commit suicide because when you say commit it's like you did something you know you commit murder mm -hmm. um and it's and it's an extremely stigmatizing phrase and so you know we start we're, we're really the correct terminology for it is dying by suicide because you know, and this is another thing I remind my, my clients and in, in, in the work that I do is that mental illness, like depression is, can be a deadly, you have, you can have a deadly illness right now Yes, because depression can lead to death by suicide. And it's when people get hopeless enough and see no way out, um, again, in context, we're trying to end that suffering. And so when we feel like there's no other way to end that suffering, it makes sense that your brain says, hey, you know what? I know one way that you can end that suffering. Right. Um, and it's a heavy topic. It's not a fun topic. But again, taking the stigma out of it, it that is what happens. I like that terminology. And as a depressive, I know it's, it's really hard to commit to anything. <laughs> and, which, oh, my God. Which, cool stand-up joke. <laughs> <laughs> that that was not rehearsed. Oh, you should use it. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah. I'll write mm -hmm. that down. Uh, no, but that's that's very true. And I think for the same reason that you said that people 
seek joy and seek comedy as as a respite i know having had suicidal impulses over the past year having had suicidal Mm -hmm. thoughts having almost acted on them i know that it just comes from that place of i just can't feel this any longer i just Mm -hmm. can't i don't want to feel like this i just don't want to feel this way anymore and everything else gets the volume turned down in lieu of that static in lieu of that voice in lieu of that suffering there's just no other thought mm-hmm. that can enter your mind that's all you can feel so mm-hmm. yeah I, I wish the selfishness aspect wasn't a part of it anymore because it's really it's not even a consideration there's nothing that you felt like it yeah and i think it's you know again it's a way that your brain is saying we need to take care of this and i've tried and in this deep perception that you've tried everything when again, that perception, that depressive lens that things come through is not reality. That's not true. However, the sensation is so strong in that given moment in time. And again, I think that piece of that moment in time is really important because feelings are temporary. Um, They can intensify and they can back off, especially with depression. Right. But if in that moment that person feels incredibly helpless and they feel these incredibly strong emotions, um, it's it can feel like that's the reality, which is why it's really important to to talk to people and let people know, you know. And I mean, even conversations like this can be incredibly triggering if if you have had um, thoughts about it or you know intentions. And I think it's important again to to talk about it and to tell somebody because there is, there is a way out. There is a way to make things better. Um, and you know, it's not a fun part of my job, but it is a reality. And, um, yeah, you know, I, I think removing the stigma and the shame for having had those thoughts or even having made attempts, um, whether it's suicide or self-injury that is not suicidal, um, you know, this, this all goes along with the territory sometimes and sometimes not. But um, again, in context, it's all pretty natural and normal, I guess I should in say. Context, yeah. And understandably so for the people around that person who feel like, why couldn't they get better or make more of an effort for me, knowing that it would cause so much pain. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what we've talked about, about how, to, how people around people who are suffering need to make sense of it and that it's it's hard to reconcile it's hard to live with yeah and depression will tell the person going through it all kinds of different things and as a loved one it can be incredibly frustrating and it can feel like that person is an asshole it really i mean it certainly can feel Mm -hmm. that way and but the important thing i mean people that that have depression and Dan, I'm going to refer to you not as a depressive, but as somebody who has depression. Oh, that's okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay. That's but that's, imp- but that is really, I mean, it is not you. It is, it is something that you have. Um, but this, the self-esteem is already low. Um, and you alluded to this earlier, right? Like you're beating yourself more than you would ever beat anybody else. Mm-hmm. And it's that negative self-talk that that person is doing. That's that is part of the territory. And so, um, I think again, another thing that I look at in my work is like family members and the influence of these, of depression and anxiety on family. And, um, 
really just knowing that therapy and medication are parts that have to really go together um, to make things better and knowing that it's out there is really important to know and not being afraid to talk about it. Yeah. And I mean, building a support system, I, I, I was, I mean, joking with Dan in the beginning about like how you see it and you're like, I want that person to be my friend. But I will also say that I've texted Dan before saying like, kind of like I need help or like, I know Nick has been like, please, like it's bad. And you understand the severity of it. You get it. And whereas another person may not. Um, so in a way we can definitely empathize with one another and be there for one another Mm -hmm. as I hope I can be there for you. Do you think, do you suggest that, because I know I was like, oh, yeah, I talked to a, I'm going to talk to some GPs so I can try to get on some Zoloft. Is that, am I doing like an easy way out? Should I just like find a psychiatrist? Because I feel like maybe the GP would be like, try this rather than. Um, I mean, I think it's your choice, but I do think that there's some benefits through going through a psychiatrist. I mean, they've had additional training in mental health, so they might just be more on top of what types of combinations or what types of medication might be best for you. Um, I, I definitely would always recommend therapy in conjunction with it because a therapist will also work with whether it is your GP or your psychiatrist. Um, you can put paperwork in place to allow them to work together, which again is really the most effective for depression and anxiety. And by covering one base, you're not necessarily, you're, you know, you're leaving yourself, open um because again it, it it's the it's good to get the the brain going and get the neurotransmitters up and running that's very important to getting better um there are also major behavioral components that go into play with anxiety and depression and if those aren't addressed it's going to make it really hard for your brain to 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 fully be able to get better, so to speak. Mm -hmm. Because if you're still engaging in unhelpful behaviors, then you're, you still have a major, a major issue going on. You're like going for a run when you need to heal your leg. Or (laughs) maybe I would say more. You know what? I'll let I you mean, keep we can, talking. I mean, we can try to work with that. Um, <laughs> sure, I love it. I don't want to make if you, you broke your leg. Yourself. Hold on. If you broke your leg and you don't do things to help fix it, you can take all the painkillers you want, but in order to, to run to again, therapy. you got to go to physical therapy. <laughs> Wait, am I the leg <laughs> or am I the painkiller? <laughs> wow. Please, I if would say maybe go. it's like needing, you know, needing more than just a, a brace on your ankle, right? Like if you wrap your ankle and you go running and your ankles hurt. That's what I was <laughs> exactly that's, what you meant. I think. That's fine. That's but maybe exactly you what need I said. a little bit more. <laughs> just need a little help. In place. Yeah. I don't know. I'm trying, I'm trying to help you there, but thanks guys. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. But you get what I'm saying. I um, do you have a, do you have it's a, both. You need both. You need both. Right? You, need you really both. need both. So, do you, Oh, I was just going to say, did you get oh, both? I should get a brace. You should get a neck brace. Yeah. Ooh, that'd be fun. Um, do you, does anyone have any more questions before we wrap, wrapped up this episode for Jenny Jens? I don't know. She I mean, that, I think Jen, I don't think she likes it. Um, Jen, Jenny Jens. Um, <laughs> um, can you like, is there, I mean, I know we could talk about this for a while. Sure. Um, but like, is there anything else you'd like to hit on? Well, I think it can feel really stigmatizing and it can make you feel like something's wrong with you when it's really just, 
it's a piece of our health. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. I know the, dev- the most devastating part about anxiety for me is not being able to trust myself. Uh, I think when you mm-hmm. live with it for a long time, you start to doubt your own mechanism for engaging with the world. Yes. Because on a very physiological level, when you have anxiety disorder, your body is telling you that you're in danger, mortal danger, yes. when you're yes. not in very <laughs> regular, real situations. And eventually, in order to think your way out of a panic attack, you have to say, I'm not in danger. Even though I see danger, even though I feel danger, even though I yep. hear and smell danger, I'm not. And you start to doubt your own judgment. senses and judgment. And after a long time, you really stop trusting yourself, which I think makes it harder to dig yourself out of the hole because really the only way to do so is to reconnect with your body and your instincts and to know that you can handle the world and navigate it on your own. Yeah, there isn't a saber-toothed tiger coming to get you. Is that your fear? Is that that what does it for you? No, but I'm just saying like um, cavemen were afraid of real things like saber-toothed tigers. And it's your because isn't your body having like the same reaction that it would to like an actual like physical threat? Sure, I think so, this is similar yeah. to my leg. And <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, we might need a little that? help with the saber tooth. Yeah, thanks. Um, I mean, but I think I, think I got what you were saying. Anxiety is a very it can be very useful. Um, it exists for a reason, and when it's working correctly, it can save lives. The problem is is that when somebody has an anxiety disorder, there I I usually talk to clients in like the terms of, you know, your alarm is broken, your smoke alarm keeps going off and there's no fire. Right. And you've got to learn when you hear that smoke alarm, you've got to be able to take in other pieces to decide whether or not there's a fire. You can't just rely on your alarm because it's broken and it goes off all the time. Mm. So you have to learn that, you know, okay, I'm hearing the alarm and that's usually in the sense of physical sensations. You start to get, you know, nervous stomach. And that can be in response to something that you have previously learned has been dangerous in like in a trauma response, right? Mm -hmm. Like you might learn that when you feel a certain way, you start to feel that way because you're in danger. Well, that that's pretty adaptive at that moment, right? But it's not adaptive anymore. It's not adaptive in everyday life. So when you start to feel that, you've got to learn that okay, you can feel this and still be safe. Um, and again, and that's just where therapy, which is why I really love what I do because it really is a behavioral, there are behavioral ways to, to intervene and help. It just takes, it takes practice, you know, and it takes some experimenting like, Hey, okay, let's try this and see what happens. Mm-hmm. Um, and it takes a lot of courage. Definitely. And it can also be very difficult to retrust that smoke alarm mm-hmm. when you need mm-hmm. it, in, mm-hmm. especially in the recovery. I know that I've put myself into a lot of danger and surrounded myself with people who are not healthy for me because I was sleeping through that smoke alarm. Mm-hmm. You know, I learned to like just disconnect it and then all of a sudden mm-hmm. when it would go off, I wouldn't listen to it. And mm-hmm. then there was a fire. There was a fire, you know, those mm-hmm. fires happen. So it's, it's equally as difficult on the recovery process as it is going. Yeah, and I think... I think, again, with therapy, the goal isn't to totally um, disconnect your alarm, right? right? It's it's learning that 
it can be faulty, yet we still got to keep it plugged in because there may be fires. Um, and so a lot of it involves with the way that you respond to the physical sensation or the way that you respond to the thought. Okay. Cause a thought will cause anxiety too. And it's the way you respond that will help either reinforce or help you learn something different. And it is not, um, it's not necessarily intuitive. And again, it's not, there's nothing wrong with people that have this in the sense that they're defective in some way. It is a, in many times, in many ways it's been learned, you know, and, and in many ways what we do has been adaptive and effective at certain points in time, or we, you know, for anxiety with depression, um, you know, there's, there are reasons why people get depressed and in the context and in the moment, it's not, it's not so unreasonable. Um, it's just, sometimes hard to get back out of and hard to, to recalibrate from. Um, well, Jen, thanks for being a therapist. Thanks, Jen. Thanks for yeah. doing a, a good service to the world. <laughs> Seriously. Cause I mean, Rosie and I are talking about well, saber tooth tigers and, and legs. legs. <laughs> and I mean, yeah, you know, I'm, but yeah. And I think like what you were saying, just to, uh, as a wrap up of a thing, like just even having everybody, the whole world understand depression a little bit more and anxiety and anxiety. Yeah. Like that just, yeah, that you should be able to have a sick day if you're having a depressed day, not just, you don't have to be barfing mm-hmm. to have a sick day. Like, you know, you're not mm-hmm. you're sick still. Yeah. And, I and got, like, yeah. I know that you, you guys say you reached out to each other because you have this mutual understanding and then it's like, no other people don't understand. And we need to just like, I don't know, get people, get more people to board. understand. Yeah. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. I got almost, I got chewed out at work for taking a day yeah. by my boss, John McGill. Fuck. Mm-hmm. He, he, I, I mean, I, he gave me shit and it's like also something you don't really want to talk about to no. your boss. Yeah. You should just respect that. I don't do that ever. Right. <laughs> I right. always show up for work and well, I should be able to take a goddamn sick day Yeah, for my health. Well, and they're not allowed to ask you anyway. I yeah. mean, whether it's physical or mental, if I you're like sick, to you're say, sick. I'm on my period. Yeah. <laughs> then, then they just <laughs> fuck off. That, yeah. I'll yeah. Shut up Always. Oh, yeah. You, Dan, you can't use that. Dan, yeah. you should try that. Yeah. Try it on my period. I have. Um, on that note. Your butt does bleed. Um, all right. Periods. That's a period to this episode. Oh, wow. cool. Wow. Cool. We all got something out of it. You got a new stand-up joke. That's super Great. funny. Yeah, thank you guys. Dan, thank you so, thank much, you so much for, for, being, for having me. being on and, and being open enough yeah. to talk about it. Oh, for sure. Appreciate it. We love you. Yeah, we love you. This was great. Thank you for doing this service for people uh, and talking about it more. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, Jen. Um, thanks Dan- for the free therapy. Yeah. yeah Dan, do you want to plug, plug anything? Plug anything? Any, any of your depressing thoughts or anything? <laughs> Where can we follow? <laughs> yeah. Uh, you guys can find me on my couch. Yeah. Uh, oh. <laughs> between the hours of all the time. No, <laughs> but, okay. no but underneath no. the rain cloud. Dan okay. has a really cool um, Instagram. Yes, thing. you do. Oh, sure. Uh, me and. Uh, hilarious guy named robert Wu have a thing on instagram called late night talk show it's at late night talk show for all your topical jokes because you know who wants who doesn't want to talk about trump and what is going on with america and if uh you need some more humor and levity about it please check it out it's a lot of fun yeah it's really fun at the late night talk show right at late night oh sorry at late night talk show um yay thanks dan all right thanks jen thanks jen thanks dan Bye. Bye. bye
Thank you so much for listening to Am I an Asshole? The one about anxiety and depression. Thanks yeah. for hanging in there. Because yeah. that was a tough one. But I think it was it was really good. And hopefully mm. um, it resonated with some people. Um, thank you so much, Dan Bonventry, for oh. being a wonderful guest and being so open. Yeah. And follow his Instagram at Late Night Talk Show. Yeah. It's hilarious. Um, yeah. And always, please follow us. We need some more followers, y'all. Yeah. Get on our Instagram. Yeah. Check out our page. Yeah. Listen up to our iTunes stuff. Yeah. And we have some really... Really fun Insta stories. Like, oh, let me yeah. just tell you so you can get some of that. You won't want to miss um, it. Thanks again to John Colum, mm-hmm. our producer, and Patrick Jones for our graphics. Yeah. Thank you. And thank you guys for listening. We love you. Bye. Bye.